Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental. Keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. Welcome, you're listening to Muskoka Unlimited on 88.7 FM The Bay and MuskokaUnlimited.com. Thanks for listening. We have a great guest to chat with today. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to Muskoka Unlimited on The Bay 88.7 FM. This is Jenny Cressman, your host, for the moment anyway. I'm filling the big chair for Chris Ocutzi while he's off doing other stuff. He may never be back. I don't know. I'm here. I'm having fun. I'm enjoying interviewing interesting people. That's the theme of the show. And so the interesting person I have with me today is Graham Mansfield. He is a musicologist and he is particularly interested in blue and country music and he is my special guest today hello Graham hello Jenny thank you very much for having me on the program today it's my pleasure to be here and glad to be sitting across the desk from you talk a little bit about music today (laughs) yes well so let's start with a little bit of your background how did you get interested in music in the first place well I've been playing music my entire life I grew up with it in the family and uh, my dad my uncle they all played music and they uh, taught me a lot about uh, singing and playing and I kind of ran with it uh, explored different uh, avenues different um, styles of music over the years and kind of taught myself a lot um Eventually, I know I was interested to an extent that I went to school for it, and I studied music at Humber College for a little while. Okay. And then I kind of got into the professional world of, you know, gigging musicians and stuff like that. Um, at the point, I hadn't played the mandolin, uh-huh. um, but I taught myself how to play that um, along with other instruments. And I started, you know, getting work playing in Toronto and playing in bars. And um, So you taught yourself how to play all these instruments? Not every single one of them. I had a lot of, you know, teachers throughout the years and mentors Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But the mandolin, if we're speaking about particularly. Particularly. uh, Yes, I taught myself that. And, you know, I'd I'd pick uh, the brains of fellow colleagues here and there, you know, as we'd see each other. the brains of the pickers. Exactly. There you go. (laughs) How did Uh, you settle on the mandolin? It's kind of a favorite instrument. Well, I started listening to a lot of old folk records and uh-huh. country records, bluegrass, and that sound really spoke to me. I got uh-huh. interested in, you know, old timers like, um, I don't know if you heard of Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys uh-huh. and stuff like that, the Stanley Brothers. Um, now, Bill Monroe, for example, he was what they can call the, the father of bluegrass. And him, okay. him and Charlie Monroe, they had a duo and they started uh, taking these, what you call like old time music um uh, in the 1930s and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And they started mm-hmm. recording for uh, Bluebird Records. Okay. But a lot of that music comes from old Appalachian, you know, fiddle mm-hmm. traditions and banjo traditions. It's stuff that goes way back, you know. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these songs, you know, have really, really old roots, really old history. Or sometimes, you know, there's no authorship to be found at all. Mm-hmm. And these songs kind of get appropriated um, by the people who are recording them. And, uh, you know, you might sure. you might call something a Bill Monroe song because you recorded it so early. And there's no real other um, other author to be found. But they do go back further. Um, okay, so he would have just put his stamp exactly. on it. Exactly. And they got changed over yeah. the years. And, uh, you know, lyrics would change here and there. Or somebody would do something with an arrangement uh-huh. or something like that to make it their own. Um, and then those songs kind of became synonymous with that 
particular person or mm -hmm. with this particular uh, group and stuff like that. Um, well, that that certainly happens today too. I mean, absolutely, songs you think of as being iconic for so and so were actually written by somebody else, and they're credited in the fine print. But <laughs> yeah, and you know, some you know when it comes down to uh, like I guess recording credits or uh, you know. Um, you know, authorship on, on records and stuff like that. It did come down to what people would put down on, uh, on arrangements and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Even though it might have had a clear um, past, um, something that went way, way back, but mm -hmm. it would be credited to somebody like uh, Monroe Brothers or Stanley Brothers who recorded okay. it in the 30s or the 40s or something like that. So when did bluegrass as a genre actually start being you know well, coming to the forefront and that term being used for that type of music well we can sort of track it back to um to bill monroe he sort yeah. of coined that term and oh, they call did. they okay. call bill monroe the father of bluegrass and Blue, bill monroe was a uh, mandolin player from mm -hmm. kentucky okay and they call kentucky the bluegrass state sure so prior to about 1940 or 1939 it really wasn't a term you know it was just mm -hmm. old-time folk music and you know ballads and um fiddle fiddle styles uh, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, so Monroe, uh, Bill and Charlie Monroe, they had a duo and they split. And Bill Monroe went on to form the Bluegrass Boys in 1939 and they uh -huh. cut their first records then. So it kind of became a term, it kind of came to the forefront then when uh, when Bill Monroe um, started uh, recording with uh, okay. a bigger a bigger group. You know, he would have mm -hmm. um, a mandolin player, which was himself and a guitar yeah. player, a bass player, a fiddler and um a banjo player sometimes over the years there was um accordion players here and there but that was sort of something that happened earlier on and got phased out a little uh, bit it's yeah. not as common that you'd see but there was some recordings that bill made in i mm -hmm. think the late uh, 40s um where the wife of um a fiddler um howdy forrester and sally ann forrester she played accordion in the band okay. that was the only time that there was a an accordion player and um, never drums uh, not traditionally. You hear it here and there and it comes up, you know, over the years, you know, yeah. some modern groups use it. Uh, even a, a guy named uh, Jimmy Martin and the mm -hmm. Sunny Mountain Boys yeah. um, here and there, you know, they'd have, a, you know, a snare drum. But a snare drum's kind of um, doing the same thing that the mandolin player does. And that's ah. doing some what they call a chopping and stuff like that. And sure. Maybe when we do a little bit of playing later on, we can... Uh, I you can, can demonstrate, demonstate that sure. and talk about yeah, that. Yeah, that'd be bit. fun. Yeah, so this is actually exciting. Uh, this is the first time I've had a musician play live on my show. So well, this is going to be fun. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to chat a little bit more and then we'll Thanks. get to the music in the second half of the show after the commercial break. But we do still have a few minutes to keep yakking. Excellent. So I want to hear more about your bands. So the, the names of bluegrass bands are always so intriguing and so yours are no less of course uh laywright boys and hit pickers are some of your uh longest standing bands i guess that's correct yeah i um i formed both those bands um through uh, some guys that i knew around toronto um and the hit pickers being probably one of the earlier ones mm -hmm. we play all around uh, in uh, bars and stuff around toronto uh maintained some residencies uh here and there played one place for about five or six years before uh we stopped doing that uh you know we in the summertime we'd 
be doing bluegrass festivals and things like yeah. that. So that um, would take you farther afield, not just in Toronto, then where you're based. Exactly. Yeah. We, we go up around, uh, you know, Ontario and, um, different places and, um, not with this band, but with other bands, you know, I go out to the East coast and, and play, oh, play wow. music out there uh-huh. and stuff like that, which as well, not the Appalachian style of fiddling, but it has a lot of rich fiddling traditions out, you know, Cape sure. Breton fiddling. You got oh, some, yeah. um, uh, Scottish, uh, influences and Irish fiddling out there. Oh, sure. Everybody um, knows Ashley McIsaac too. <laughs> well, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some people that I've, uh, played with have worked with Ashley yeah. uh, over the years and, and stuff like that. And apparently he's quite the character. Uh, yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. The friend of mine was very proud to have a, a paper cup that he had signed. <laughs> I think there's a story behind it that I don't know, or maybe shouldn't share. Anyway, <laughs> that sounds about <laughs> right. Maybe alcohol yeah. involved. Uh, just uh, who knows? Anyway, the Laywright Boys. Where does that name come from? Well, that's another group that I uh, put together with um, another guy from Toronto named yep. Nickel Robertson, and uh, uh-huh. we sort of went back to that. Um, we were talking a little earlier about that kind of guitar and mandolin duo. Mm-hmm. Style and that was really big in the you know the 1930s and 1940s. Uh, I didn't have a large band uh, like mm-hmm. for example with the Hit Pickers. I played with a bass, guitar, mandolin, and a and a banjo. So it was a quartet. And you know bands can get bigger from there. You know get mm-hmm. uh, fiddles and dobros involved. But this group in particular was just um, guitar and mandolin, and we both sang. And we okay. we wrote uh, we did a lot of traditional uh, songs and stuff like that, the old ballads and stuff like that, and country songs. We also wrote a few of our own and okay. stuff like that. Yeah, I was wondering about that. It's recording. not just recovering no, there's, traditional there's, songs. Exactly. There's there's a lot of room for growth in that stuff. And uh-huh. there is a pretty, um, pretty solid tradition in that old time um, style. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of people have run with it over the years and, uh, and taken it and recorded a lot of... Uh, you know, new material and things so like that. So it's still being recorded, but not as much as it once was then. It depends on where you're looking and, um, you know, who you're, uh, mm-hmm. your band, you know, some, some people have a little bit more of a traditional touch than, than others. And some, yeah. some are recording, you know, only and strictly, um, their own material. Oh, and then some people okay. are, you know, going back and doing the old time stuff mm-hmm. as well. So when I was, um, when I was learning the mandolin, um, I, uh, took a big interest in a group called the Kentucky Colonels. Oh. And if you've ever heard of the birds, mm-hmm. um, the band, the birds. With oh, absolutely. The, um, <laughs> so uh, there was a guitar player in that group called Clarence White mm-hmm. and Clarence White was the brother of Roland White. And okay. before the birds, um, they had a group called the Kentucky Colonels and Clarence played the guitar and Roland White played the mandolin. So I would collect records and, um, you know, get really interested in that. And I, th- you know, doing a little bit of digging one day and found that he's living down in Nashville and ah. stuff like that. So I called him up and I said, Hey, what if I came down? Would you give me a lesson? Huh. And he was in his, I think his eighties at the time. And so he said, yes. And uh, so I got on a bus in Toronto and took the mandolin and went down to Nashville and stayed for about a, a week or so and uh, went over to his place and he showed me some of the uh, stuff that he used to do on old records and stuff like that. And I thought cool. that was really neat and cool. kind of took off from there. And that was kind of a turning point I think in my my learning and you know how I started developing my playing okay well we're gonna end there for now and we're going to hear how you have developed your playing in the next half of the show after the commercial break so stay with us folks
I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. Hello, and welcome back to Muskoka Unlimited on 88.7 FM, The Bay. I'm still Jenny Cressman, and I'm still talking with Graham Mansfield, bluegrass aficionado. So he's going to tell us a little bit about what he's going to play, and then he's going to jump right in and play us a tune on the mandolin. Thank you, Jenny, for having me, and I'm still very happy to be here. <laughs> so before we took a break, we were talking a little bit about... Um, music history and mm-hmm. uh, more particular about the history of uh, bluegrass in in a brief sense bluegrass yeah. and country music and, and where it sort of got its roots um, and I was talking a little bit about a, a guy named Bill Monroe and mm-hmm. Bill Monroe was born in 1911 in Kentucky and uh, he was what they call the father of bluegrass and so I figured it would be appropriate to you know in given the circumstances play a song uh, by him yeah there and just sort of talk a little bit about what you know what's going on there so this is a song um that was written by bill um it's called big mon and it's an instrumental number um and uh you know he would have recorded this with uh, a full band you know Mm -hmm. he would have had uh, a bass guitar Mm -hmm. um fiddle uh mandolin banjo and you know everybody would have taken a turn you know going through some solos or playing what they call the head playing the melody essentially and um so I figured oh, I'll play a little bit about that uh, mm-hmm. right now. And, uh, you know, I'll take that in a little bit, maybe do a bit of improvisation there, and then I'll take it out and just sort of give you a little bit of a sense of, of what a, a, something like that might sound like. Awesome. So here's a song called Big Mon. Awesome. Thank you very much. 
So that I was, was very nice. Yeah. Thank you. I was mentioning to you a little bit about, uh, well, we were talking, why isn't there drums in, in bluegrass? Yeah. And um, not that there isn't, there never was traditionally. Uh-huh. Um, and I put that little uh, section in there where I was just playing the chords just to demonstrate uh, for any musicians out there listening, you know, when you're, when you're playing um, the mandolin, you're usually playing on beats two and four. And that's what a snare drum would do yeah. in the same situation. So you'd have that. Right. That kind of sound, um, you know, it, it's very, very similar. So the role of a mandolin player um, mm-hmm. in a bluegrass band when they're when they're playing chords was to kind of keep that rhythm and stuff like that. And that's sort of the snare drum um, in the bluegrass outfit. Okay. Okay. So that's how it all works. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned one person that was like a hero or mentor to you. What about other people in the genre that you would look to as being particularly iconic or influential for you? Absolutely. Um, You know, I've had uh, the pleasure of, even working with a lot of incredible musicians um, in Toronto and um, in doing things around uh, Toronto and bluegrass festivals that have taught me a lot about uh, playing this music. So I talked briefly about um, visiting Roland White in Nashville, um, Mm -hmm. but um, even um, working on a radio, a community radio station in Toronto um, Mm -hmm. and doing bluegrass programs. I got to interview a lot of really interesting people. One, for example, was um, a dobro player by the name of Jerry Douglas. Ah. And uh, Jerry Douglas came to Toronto and he was um, doing some uh, shows at a place called Hughes Room. Oh yeah, that's Um, an awesome venue. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, so myself and Steve Pritchard, who was Mm -hmm. the other host on this program, um, we got in touch with Jerry and we did a little interview. Um, And Jerry um, goes back to you know, probably the mid sixties, um, getting started there and into the seventies, uh, playing with, um, incredible bands and guitar players like Tony Rice. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were kind of the people that I was listening to as well, growing up, um, and learning this type of music. So, you know, it gave me a big thrill to be able to, to do that and to, yeah. to talk to some of these people on the air, um, meeting people at, at bluegrass festivals and stuff like that, that I never thought I'd be able to meet. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just talking cool. to a lot of really incredible and knowledgeable people around so now you've you've been in muskoka here for the summer working at algonquin outfitters yeah exactly Um, but you probably were pretty busy there and didn't have time to hook up with a lot of local musicians or did you meet a few um i met a few but never really got out playing um Uh i I was definitely kept pretty busy you know uh working around uh the shop yeah exactly right (laughs) and um you know it was always something that i did you know as a as a kid as well um with Mm -hmm. my family yeah Uh, just the same as music you know the outdoors have been just as important to me yeah as well and, uh, so now you're going to have an opportunity to live here year round you're, yeah, you're doing dog sledding is it this winter that's correct yeah cool. i'm going to be uh, working for um, a group uh, called uh, winter dance and yes uh, oh yeah they're wonderful yeah so uh, i'm yeah. super excited about that it's going to be quite different than you know my past and music and stuff like that but yeah uh, it just excites me just as much, you know, to be able to so, have that opportunity. So canoes, dog sledding, music, and so you're you're changing your life around. You're no longer the city boy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, over COVID, it got kind of tough around Toronto. You know, there's yeah. a lot of people, not a lot to do, and you know, it was just nice to get out and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and be out here and uh, do something like that. And I'm super excited to to be able to play some music up here and out here and meet more people and chat with people. Um, you know, I kind of, I really enjoy uh, history and the storytelling and it doesn't have to be just music. You know, I've yeah. met a lot of really neat people up here that have taught sure. me a lot about uh, what's going on around here, about Algonquin Park and about mm-hmm. the history and the people. And that fascinates me just as much. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of a, 
it's a flip side, but it's also got a lot in common with um, what I used to do. And yeah. I, I just enjoy it a lot hearing well, the stories. And Muskoka is very rich with musicians and, and so many different genres. Um, there are certainly people that would be bluegrass folk country, but then there's also a lot of rock and just a whole variety. Nice mixture of musicians up here. Absolutely. Um, not too long ago, I think it was back in August, um, a few of us went to go see um, a guy named Dan Mangan mm-hmm. over at um, the uh, Algonquin Theatre. Mm-hmm. And I'd met him through some friends in the city years past. Uh-huh. Um, not, I don't think you would remember me, um, but uh, you know, I remember meeting him and chatting with him a little bit about music and stuff like that. And as it turns out, when we get there, um, a good friend of mine was doing the sound for him that uh-huh. night. Uh, somebody that I'd worked with uh-huh. with other bands on yep. the road. Um, as well. So it is a small world and you run into a lot of people up here that you definitely know from the city. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people move around. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So we've got just a couple more minutes left. So um, we've talked about quite a lot um, of your background and what your future's doing. And I'm sure we're going to hear more from you on the local music scene. So I just want to let everybody know that Muskoka Unlimited podcasts are always available after they air. Um, This show is on live. Well, live. It's on. It's aired Sunday mornings, every other Sunday, and then again in the evening on the same Sunday and the podcasts are usually posted on the 88.7 FM website and people can access the podcast there by looking for the show Muskoka Unlimited. I'll post it there and I'll post things on Facebook and whenever they're available and um, you can look for Jenny Cressman on Facebook and that's where you'll find the link to the shows if you can't find the uh, 88.7 The Bay website. So with our last little sort of minute and a half, would you share a little bit more music to take us out, Graham? Sure, absolutely. If um, How much time do we have? If you can uh, bear with me, I can uh, grab the guitar out and um, One I minute. can sing something for you. All right. <laughs> and I'll do it on Ready the go. Sure. <laughs> The house at night stood cold and still And I trembled upon its view It looked the same, but the feeling had changed And I thought of my life without you I stepped into darkness, surrounded by stone, a silence enclosed by four walls. Nothing remained of the world we had made, but the pictures that hung in the hall. Thank you. You've been listening to Muskoka Unlimited on 88.7 FM The Bay or www.muskokaunlimited.com. Stay tuned for more wonderful episodes on our show.